Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. How many of you know God is in the business of bringing dead things back to life? And there's a couple different kinds of deaths. There's a, a spiritual death and a physical death. And I believe that right now God wants to move in our lives and bring some things that are, are maybe dying and resurrect those this Easter weekend. In fact, I can't wait because I believe God is going to do something in your heart and in your life. And you just didn't even know it. Like you had no expectation, but God's going to meet you in this moment. Can we pray? God, we ask right now that you would move in our hearts and in our lives. God, that you would draw us to you in Jesus' name. We thank you for for the resurrection of Jesus and what it means for our life, that it's not just something that we cling to for eternity one day, but it's something that we cling to today. That every day we can have this resurrection power of Jesus living in and through our lives. So God, we turn our attention and our focus on you and you alone in Jesus' name. Everybody said, come on, amen, amen. Hey, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them to John chapter 11. We have been in this series called Discovering Jesus, talking about who he is and what he did for us. And if some of you are just joining us for the first time thinking, well, I'm just kind of coming in, you know, after the series has already started, you know, well, we got you covered. You can download the Elevate Church app and you can catch up with us. But in order for us to follow Jesus closely, we need to be able to see him clearly understand who he is and what he did for us, that Jesus Christ was crucified, dead and buried for us. And so in John chapter 11, Jesus is showing up in a city called Bethany. His best friend, one of his friends has died. His name is Lazarus. And, and Jesus is arriving on the scene, not as he's still in the ICU, not when he is breathing his last breath. He's not even showing up at the funeral. Like it's after he's dead. Are you with me? It's after, after they've already had the reception and the casserole is all gone. That's when Jesus is showing up and Lazarus has been in the grave. And this is what the Bible says in verse 17, that when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told Lazarus has already been dead in the grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem and many of the people, somebody say many, many people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. I want you to notice it said many people, that a notable figure passes away and that a lot of people show up to see what's going on. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have, have died. If you'd have only showed up, earlier, then things might be different. Things would look different. Maybe you can relate to Martha. You have these questions for God. But even now, she said, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, I know he's going to rise when everyone else rises in the last day. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the resurrection and I'm the life. He says, anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for what it means for us today. 
that if we put our faith and our trust in you, that even after death, we will live. And, and not just then, God, but even for today, that we can become spiritually alive in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Here's what I know. Everybody in this room or everybody watching online, you can relate to one of the characters in the story that I just read. Some of you relate to Martha in the sense that you came in with all kinds of questions for God. God, why didn't you show up when? Or God, where were you, you know, when this happened? Or God, if you're so good and you're so, you know, great, then why did you let my brother pass away? Or God, if you're so good, then why is it my aging mother is, is going through what she is going through? Some of you, you're like Martha. You showed up with all kinds of questions about God. And I want you to know he can handle those questions. And some of you can relate to Mary in the sense that she stayed home, that, that she, she's thinking, I don't necessarily need a verse. I don't really need some encouragement. What I just need, God, is your presence. I just need you to be with me. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you don't need a, a ministry of truth. You need a ministry of tears. You just need to God to show up in your life. You can relate to Mary. But I submit that a lot of us, maybe perhaps most of us can relate to Lazarus in this story. In the sense that there are some things in our life that are dead, that we cannot in and of our own strength bring those back to life. Lazarus could not, it, no matter how hard he tried, no matter how hard he worked, come out of that grave on his own. And maybe you're here today with the same realization that there are some dead things in your life. And here's what you should know. Coming to church doesn't solve deadness. Showing up on Easter and checking the Easter box, that does not solve deadness. Only the voice of Jesus calling that dead thing out of the grave, right, can restore what's been dead in our life. And so whatever it is that you need today, maybe you have more questions than you have answers. You know, maybe you showed up and you're just hurting whatever it is that you need. You walked into a church that believes God can and will and wants to meet you right where you are today, that it's not by accident that you are here, it's not by accident that you are watching online, that there's something in your life God wants to call out of the grave. And he wants to restore something because that's what he does. He raises dead things to life. How many of you know there's something significant about the number seven? Seven is an important number. Uh, there are seven days of the week. There are, um, what, there are seven uh, movies in the series Fast and Furious. There's a lot of movies. There are seven continents. There are seven seas, right? Seven is a, a significant number. There's seven colors in the rainbow. Roy G. Biv, what's up? There's seven um, notes on the musical scale. Seven's an important number, but it's also important in God's word. In fact, from Genesis to Revelation, we see uh, that seven is a significant number. There were seven days of creation, and God rested on the seventh. God told Joshua, hey, I want you to march around Jericho for seven days. And on the seventh day, do it seven times. He told Naaman, hey, you need to dip yourself in the Jordan River seven times. And after the seventh time, then you'll be healed of leprosy. It shows up all throughout out Scripture. In fact, someone did the, the tedious task and discovered that the number seven is used over 700 times symbolically in the Bible. Okay, God, now you're just showing off, right? But one of my favorite sevens in the scripture is the seven times in John's gospel where Jesus told us who he was. Seven times he said, I am, 
And then he told us something about his character. He told us something about his nature. And this is a great place for us to discover who Jesus was because he said it seven times. This is who I am. In John's gospel, in fact, if you don't know, John was an eyewitness to the life and ministry of Jesus. He was kind of this this rich kid, he grew up in a, uh, the, the fishing industry. His father was a fisherman. Uh, he didn't really necessarily need anything to do with Jesus, but Jesus calls him out of his, his career that he's doing. How many of you know as soon as Jesus calls you, no matter where you are, what you're doing, he gives you a clear call on your life. It'll change everything. And it did for John. And so he was called out of the, the fishing industry, and he spent three and a half years following Jesus. In fact, Jesus gave him a nickname. How cool is that? I love that about Jesus, that Jesus will call you out of something. He'll change your name. He changed Simon's name to Peter, which means the rock. And he called James and John, who were the sons of Zebedee, uh, that was his father, he called them the sons of thunder. How awesome is that? Thunder, the th thunder. Like Jesus had like wrestler nicknames for people. You're the rock, you're the sons of thunder. I just, I just think that's cool personally. But John spends three and a half years with Jesus and then he writes down all the things that would cause him to believe that Jesus really was the son of God. And he writes them down and he tells us about it in John chapter 20, verse 31. He says, I wrote all this stuff down, all this stuff about who he is and what he did. In fact, in verse 30, he says, if, if you know, there's not enough room to contain all the miracles, all the crazy things that Jesus did, he said, but I wrote them down so that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And I would encourage you, if you've never, you know, began reading through God's word, John is a great place to start. I mean, it'll rock your world. It gives you a great foundation for who Jesus is and what he did. And this Easter, I want to again point your attention to Jesus, who said seven times, I am, and then he told us who he was, which means you don't have to guess who he is which means you don't have to wonder who's God or, or what's he like because Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so he tells us exactly who he is. And so he says, uh, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. Now, those of you on the keto diet, you're gonna struggle relating to this. I don't do carbs. Well, he says, I'm the bread of life in the sense that, you know how when you get hungry and you eat something or you get hangry, you know, because you're not eating something, he said, I, I'm the bread of life. I'll sustain you. I'll be your provision. I'll be your strength. I'm essential for, for living. It's an attribute of Jesus. He's the bread of, of life. Then he says this, I am the light of the world. In other words, have you ever felt like you're stumbling around in darkness? That you don't know why you woke up in the morning. You don't know why you even, even get out of bed. You're not sure what your, your purpose is in life. Can I tell you something? We are all, every single one of us in this room or watching online, we are all more alike than we are different. It doesn't matter where you go in the world, by the way. It doesn't matter, you know, people look different. Maybe they wear different things or eat different things. But we are all more alike in the sense that we all ask the same big questions. What's the meaning of life? Why am I here? Can I really be forgiven? Do I have to live with this sense of, of guilt and shame or can I be free from it? What happens after I die? And so Jesus says, I am the light of the world, meaning that you don't have to stumble around in darkness. You can just look to me and I'll be the light that guides you through your life. He says this, I am the good shepherd. Uh, in other words, I'm the caretaker. I'm the protector of my sheep. 
that I will, I'll be the, the one that leads you, you know, to greener pastures. I'll be the one that provides for you. I'll be the one that, that, that protects you when the enemy comes. I'll, I'll search for you when you go missing. That's who he says, I am the good shepherd. He also says, I am the gate. That I'm not just the shepherd to my sheep, but I'm actually the gate to the, to the sheep pen. In fact, during this day, a lot of times shepherds would physically lie down in front of the sheep pen and allow the sheep to go in and out. He says, I'm the gate. Like, I'm the way in. You can come to me. And he says this in reference to salvation because he also says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Who are you, Jesus? I'm the way to God. Who are you, Jesus? I'm the only way for you to have a relationship with God. And I know the pushback. Some of you would say, well, that's why I'm not a follower of Jesus, Colby, because it's, it's elitism. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's exclusive. That you gotta be a member that there's only one way. And I just think it's exclusivity that you would say there's only one way. I don't think it's exclusivity. I think it's merciful that Jesus would tell us how to have a relationship with God, which means you don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder, how do I connect with God? How do I have a relationship with the God of the universe? Is it in the stars? You know, and that I'm a cancer and, you know, and, and there's a Capricorn and how do I connect with God? Is it in the, the Chinese calendar and I'm a dog and I should marry a pigeon? Is that the way that I connect with God? That's not what he says. He says, I'm the way. I say it's merciful that he would tell us exactly how to connect to God. I'm the way, the truth, the life. And he also says this, I am the true vine. And my father is the gardener. So just as branches can't produce fruit when they get disconnected from the vine, and they also can't survive that way, by the way, he says, you can't produce what I want to produce in your life. You can't have the, the full life. You can't grow if you become disconnected from the vine because God wants this living, life-giving relationship with us, not an on-again, off-again kind of relationship where there's inconsistency, when there's no, no consistency in our connectivity to God, this on again, off again, which by the way, to me, is the most tragic thing about this last year. Because it's been a season of on again and off again. It's been a season of inconsistent. It's been a season of being disconnected. And I would just say this, but not to the, those of you in the room, but those of you watching online, if you're staying at home out of health reasons, I completely understand that and respect that. However, if you are remaining home out of habit, it's time to come back to church. Are you with me? It's time to come back to church. And I'm not, not like being mean about it. I'm just being honest. There's something about us connecting to people. There's something about staying connected to the vine and staying connected to community. That's why I love seeing all of you in here today. And that's why I love seeing those of you in, in overflow. Can we give a shout out for the people that couldn't make it in the room? Come on, we love you guys in overflow. He says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. And my father is the, the gardener. This is who I am. But the seventh time, which is representative of being finished, of final, this is what he says. Here's who I am. I am the resurrection and the life. Look at it again in, in the context we read, verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, you'll, you will live even after dying. Even after dying, you'll, you'll live. He's the resurrection and the life. I think that's the, the perfect thing for us to, to spend some time on this Easter talking about. The resurrection and the life. 
However, in order for there to be a resurrection, how many of you know there has to be a death? A resurrection doesn't mean anything. In fact, a resurrection is not possible apart from there being a, a death. And there are two different kinds of death. I mentioned it. There's a spiritual death. There's a physical death. Both of them are mentioned in this text that we just read. That's why Jesus says, anyone who believes in me will live again. Even after dying, you're going to live again. So you're gonna, your physical life will continue on. If you believe in me, though, and you put your, your life in me, he says, you'll never die. You'll be spiritually alive in Christ. So he's talking about the spiritual life and a physical life. But the reality is every single one of us will experience a physical death. And death is three things. Death is, first of all, it's tragic. It's tragic. It's cruel. It's unkind. I was thinking about this and thinking back to the first time I was exposed to death of someone close to me. And I was about five or six years old when my, my mother's mother passed away. My grandmother passed away. And I don't remember all the circumstances around it, but I will never forget how it felt to see my mom, you know, so sad and grieving. And then a little later on in life, after graduating from college, Kristen and I, we had friends that, that got married. And early into their marriage, they had, had four kids, just cranked them out, boom, boom, boom. You know, they're like, man, when are you guys gonna stop? But then about 33 years old, she was diagnosed with terminal pancreatic cancer and she was diagnosed with that in May and died by Christmas. And just the hard truth of trying to reconcile her death and, and, a, and a young woman whose life was in front of her and death is tragic, it's tragic. It's also, it's also traumatic. It's traumatic in the way that people die. You could die in a car accident. You could die in a, you know, some machinery kind of accident. It could be violence. It could be terrorism. Acts of hate. Haven't we seen enough of that in, even in the recent weeks? It could be traumatic in the way that, that people die, and it's disturbing. If you see a death up close and personal, about seven years or so ago, I was with a family as their mother was passing away at home in their apartment and hospice was there. They had the medical bed there and she was all drugged up, you know, trying to make it as comfortable as possible in her passing. But I will never forget just seeing this woman gasping for air, just gasping for air and watching as life just, just slipped out of her, out of her body. Like, it's traumatic. It's traumatic the way that people die. But how many of you know, it also can be traumatic in the, for those of us that get left behind when somebody we love dies. It's been said that there are seven stages of grief. But if you've ever lost someone, you know, unexpectedly or, you know, just kind of in the moment, you know that the seven stages aren't, well, there's stage one, there's stage two, there's stage three. Well, stage four has to be coming. It's not like that at all. You could be in stage one in one moment, and then in the next moment, you're, you're crashing into stage five and it's horrible and it's terrible. And then the next moment, you're back into stage one. So if you've ever lost someone, you know it's like this careening around from stage to stage. And it could be, it could be traumatic in what it does. And then all of a sudden, you're, you're back in stage one and feeling okay. And then, then someone sucker punches you in the gut, knocks the wind out of you. Because something, you know, someone said triggered the trauma again, or Mother's Day triggered the trauma again, or someone's birthday triggered the, the trauma again. It's traumatic to face death, no matter which side of it you're on. But it's also terrible. Death is just plain 
terrible. It's terrible in what it does to a body. Why? Because to put it bluntly, after you die, your spirit leaves, but your, your body remains. And a physical body immediately begins to return back to the state that it was formed out of. Not like the state like Ohio. If you were born in Ohio, you go back to Ohio. That's not what I'm saying. State as in the condition of your body because God's word says out of the dust we were formed. And when you die, your body immediately begins to go back to its original state. Through decomposition, through either a, a rapid you know, decomposition, through, uh, through cremation, or a slow one through being buried. It's just, it's terrible what it does to the body. And there's also, and I'm trying to be sensitive, there's a smell to death. If you've ever been around it, or if you've ever been you know, around someone who is extremely sick, there's this unmistakable smell to it. In fact, if you were to keep reading in John chapter 11, Jesus, when he finally got to the grave, he says, all right, roll away the stone. And Martha objects and says, no way. He's been in there for four days. She says, the smell will be terrible. It's terrible. And sometimes people will say, no, no, death is beautiful. Death is peaceful. Don't you believe it for a second. Death is not your friend. Death is your, your enemy. Death is, is tragic, it's traumatic, it's terrible, and it was never meant to happen. It was never God's intention. And don't you feel that? Like if you ever go to a funeral and you see someone lying there in the casket and you see this just lifeless shell of a body, doesn't everything inside of you scream, this is not right? It does for me. This is not right. You know why you have that inside of you? Because God put that in there. God put that in there. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God planted eternity in the human heart. So that sense that you have that this is not right means that God's put that in your life, that his, his hand is on your life, and you, you realize this was never meant to happen this way. Death is tragic. It's traumatic. It's terrible. Hey, how about it? There's my Easter message. Death is tragic. It's terrible. Some of you are like, this is the worst Easter ever, ever. I'm never coming back here. Now, I would agree with you if that was the end of the story. But how many of you know that's not the end of the story? Praise God. That's not the end of it. You know when somebody asks you, they say, hey, 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 I got some good news and I got some bad news for you. Which one do you want first? Is that a real question? How many of you are, give me the good news first, people? Raise your hand. What's wrong with you? <laughs> like, why would you want the good news first? Then the bad news is just gonna overshadow the, the good news. But I need you to know, good news is never as good as it could be unless you first get the bad news. And that's what you need to, to know. This would not make sense for us to come in here on Easter and say, yay resurrection, yay Jesus, yay Easter, if we don't first understand the reality of death. If we don't first have our feet squarely planted in a cemetery, because that's what Jesus rose out of. He came back from, from death. Death was the reality surrounding Jesus's resurrection. People were grieving. Tears were streaming. It was tragic. It was traumatic what they did to Jesus. It was traumatic the way that they, they crucified him and beat him and, and nailed him to the cross. It was traumatic. It was terrible what happened to him. But resurrection is only possible if there was a death. 
and Jesus died, come on somebody, so I could live. He died so that I didn't have to. He went to the grave so that I didn't have to. He died so I could live. And so while our death is tragic, Jesus' death, don't miss this, is a turning point. It's a turning point. And it could be a turning point in your life today. And by the way, that we would talk about Lazarus and Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead is not disconnected from the Easter story. How is that, Colby? I mean that we would even preach about it has everything to do with Jesus and his death on the cross. Because Jesus calling Lazarus out of the grave, as, as, as amazing as that was, that was not the big deal that day. That was not the big deal. It, it's, you know, think about it in this way. Like Lazarus, you know, how happy people were that he walked out of the grave and they were all excited about it. And the Bible says that many people were there. Lazarus, he was the least happy of all of them because he just went to heaven. And he got up there, he's like, I can get down with this. All right. And he's adjusting to heaven. He's adjusting to his, his new you know, room in heaven. He's adjusting to his, his new body. He's like, I'm not arthritic anymore. I can run around. This is awesome. Only just you know, all of a sudden he gets sucked right back. You know, and he's thinking, what? No, no, no. I've only been here for a short time. And now he's walking out of the grave. And he's like, my knees hurt again. My back hurts again. Like for Lazarus, it was the worst day. He's like, this is the worst day ever. Which, correct me if I'm wrong, but Lazarus had to die again. So he had to go through all that again. I'm just saying that that was not the big deal that day. After all, Jesus had raised someone from the dead before as well. The big deal that day was that many people were there watching. This was the most public instance of Jesus doing a miracle like this, a resurrection like this. And it set things in motion because verse 53 tells us that from this time on, after raising Lazarus from the dead, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus's death. So when Jesus said, Lazarus, come out, come out of the grave, he knew that that would set some things into motion that would ultimately lead him to the cross. And don't miss this, he chose to do that. He chose to go to the cross. Jesus did not have to die on the cross. He chose to go to the cross. Can I tell you something? It was not nails that held him to the cross. It was love that held him to the cross. His love for you, his love for me, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. That whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish. They would have this, this eternal life. And so death is a turning point turning point for Jesus. His death was a turning point. And while death is traumatic, Jesus's death, don't miss this, is a transfer. I love this. It's a switch. It's this, this beautiful exchange where Jesus takes my place on the cross, where he took my debt. He transferred my debt for his death. This is what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering of our sin, to be my sin. That he, he took the punishment that I deserved, offering for my sin, so that we could be made, you could be made right with God through Christ. So God treated Jesus like I deserve to be treated so that he could treat me like Jesus deserved to be treated. And don't miss this, when Jesus died, he was not just dying for you, he was dying as though he 
were you. This was a transfer. And if you put your faith and your trust in Jesus, God transfers all that was wrong in our life for all that was right about him. It's this amazing transfer. Like you don't even understand how good this is. This is what this means. It means on the days you feel like you blew it, that you missed the mark, that you got it all wrong, that you fell. I didn't read my Bible enough or I didn't, I didn't go to church enough. You know what God does? He looks at you and says, I could not tell. I only see Jesus. How awesome is that? When you feel like you failed, when you feel like you're a sinner, which we all are, none of us are, are perfect, but when you feel that way, God says, you know what? If you gave your life to follow Jesus, then there was this transfer that happened that anyways, in every way, I can only see my son in you. That's so good that there is this transfer that happens that Jesus took our debt. And while our death is tragic and traumatic, Jesus' death was a turning point and a transfer. And our death is terrible. Here's the last one. Jesus' death was triumphant because he did not stay dead. They took him off the cross. They put him in the, the grave. And three days later, he came back to life, conquering death. He was dead and he's alive and he lives forever. And he offers that resurrection life to us. Yeah, yeah. So that. When you die, if you've placed your faith in him, he'll stand out in front of your grave and he'll say, Colby, come out. Kristen, come on out. Garrett, come out. That's all the names I got. Come out. I don't know. Sweaty. This truly is the totality of our Christian faith. The strength of our faith is in the resurrection of Jesus. And I think a lot of times we try to, we, we've tried to reshape how we see Jesus. The world is doing it. I think there's this movement to say, Jesus was simply this nice guy who had some good things to say. He's kind of like, you know, Mr. Rogers with a beard. He's kind of like Jesus with a, a cardigan. But that's not Jesus. Jesus was radical. Jesus said some ridiculous things like, hey, if you put your faith in me, even if you die, you will live again. Now, if he cannot deliver on that promise, he is cardigan Jesus. But because he died and came back to life, and the Bible tells us that over 500 people are eyewitnesses to that. Do you know that after Jesus came back to life, like the following Jesus was called the way, it just spread like wildfire. Like people were, were following him like crazy because they saw him. They saw him. And so the, not only the, the Jewish leaders of the day were trying to, to kill this movement of, of following Jesus, but also the Roman Empire. They were persecuting Christians because they were coming to faith in Jesus at a ridiculous rate and putting their trust in him, even for fear of, of being killed for following Jesus. And if you read the book of Acts, the very first two sermons that were given were simply this, you killed Jesus, he was the Messiah, you killed him, bad move on your part, he came back to life, and if you put your faith and your trust in him, then you can find freedom. And did you know because of those first two messages preached that over 5,000 people gave their life to follow Jesus? Like, that's what the Bible tells us. And so it spread like crazy. Think about this. When Jesus was crucified in 33 AD, he had roughly 120 or so followers. Do you know how many people claim to follow Jesus today in the world? 2.3 billion. 
You don't hear that on the news. 2.3 billion people on the planet. One out of every three people that you meet claim to follow Jesus. You know the Christian church is the largest organization in the world? Nothing comes close to it. Like the Christian church is, is, is larger than China, is larger than China and Europe combined, is larger than China, Europe, and the U.S. combined. Like the Christian church, why? Because Jesus died and came back to life. And the resurrection of Jesus is the single most significant event in all of history. It split history into A.D. and B.C., in fact, every date in history now is dated the way it is because of the resurrection of Jesus. Like, that's amazing. Your birthday is, is what it is because of the resurrection of Jesus who triumphs over the grave. This resurrection is the strength of our faith. And Jesus went into the grave to get us out. But the resurrection is not only meant for our eternity, but it's meant for our journey. In fact, I, I want to close with this, that the resurrection is not meant to be something that you just file away for one day when. Someday when you die, then, then the resurrection of Jesus is going to matter to me because then I'm going to, you know, be with him in eternity. And I say that because if we were honest today, some of you in this room or watching online, you don't even necessarily believe that there's a God. But you figured, hey, it's Easter Sunday. I might as well show up just in case, right? You're kind of hedging your bets. Just in case there's something to this Jesus and an eternal life thing, I better show up because if God is taking attendance towards eternity, he's gonna check on Easter Sunday. So I better come on Easter Sunday. But to think that the resurrection was only meant for your eternity is to miss some of the best parts of why Jesus died for you in the first place. He says, I'm the resurrection and, and the life. And you know, when Martha said, she said, um, I know, I know Lazarus is gonna rise from the dead, you know, at the end. Kind of translation, you know, when everyone gets to heaven, then it's gonna be okay. Jesus said, no, 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 I am the resurrection and the life, present tense. Meaning Jesus is not just what Jesus did, it's who he is, that he is the resurrection and the life. Meaning Easter weekend is not just an opportunity for us to come together and remember that Jesus rose out of the grave and that he has eternity waiting for us if we would put our faith in him. No, he wants to resurrect some dead things in your life, even today. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. For those parts of your life that are dead or dying, for the parts of your life that you feel like are, are dormant, for, for the, the guilt that you carry, the shame that you carry, I intend to resurrect you back to life and give you confidence and courage and hope and strength again in your life if you'll put your faith in me. Not one day when, but today. The resurrection is not for one day, it's for two days for today and it's available for you so here's I got one question for you if we are all on this journey and at some point we're going to face a physical death we're all going to get to that place where we breathe our last breath where will you be one minute after you die 
Because Jesus said, if you put your faith in me, if you believe in me, then even though you die, you'll live. You'll live again. And if you live in me, believe in me, like you'll have, you'll have, you'll be, you'll have eternal life now. Like you'll be spiritually alive even now. So where will you be? Do you want the, the hope and the security and the confidence of knowing that when that day comes, when that day comes that you will be with the Father in heaven because you surrendered your life to Jesus. If you're here today and you'd say, Colby, with all my heart, yes. With all my heart, yes, that's what I want. I want the courage and the confidence to know that I have, have hope in any situation that Jesus is an anchor for my soul no matter what storm I face. Colby, yes, what do I need to do? Well, those first two messages that I told you about that were preached in the book of Acts where 5,000 people came to Jesus. In Acts chapter two, I think it's verse 37 and 38, they were asking the same question. It says, Peter's words pierced them to the, the soul and the people responded, what do I do? What do I do with, with Jesus who was dead and buried and came back to life? Like, what should I do? And they said, here's what you need to do. You need to repent. You need to turn to God. And then you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And so I'm gonna make it real simple today. That's what you do. You repent. You say, Jesus, I can't do this without you. I know that you died in my place. I know that you created this beautiful transfer that if I give you my life, that, that God only sees the righteousness of Christ, even when I fail, past, present, and future, that I'm covered. And if that's what you want today, let's do this. Would you bow your head, close your eyes. Again, I don't believe it's by chance that you're here. And I'm gonna give you a chance right now to do just that, to repent of your sin, to turn to God, to put your trust in him, Jesus, who is resurrected who came out of the grave so that you and I did not have to go into the grave and then be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and I'm going to ask you to do something bold today in just a moment I'm going to ask you to, to stand not yet and here's why I'd ask you to stand I think there's something significant about taking that step of saying you know what I don't care who knows? I don't care what's going on. I just know I desperately need to give my life to Jesus and surrender to him. I'll tell you, when I did that and I took that, that stand years and years ago, it was probably one of the best things that I could have ever done was to go public and stand up and say, I'm gonna follow Jesus. I'm gonna put my trust in him. And it changed my life and I promise you it'll change yours as well, and if you've never put your hope and trust in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for you, on the count of three, and you wanna do that today, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer, but on the count of three, would you just stand to your feet wherever you are? One, two, three, come on, just stand up wherever you are today, right now. And say, today I'm gonna to put my faith and trust in Jesus. This is between me and him. There's just something about standing. God bless you all, God bless you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's something about me standing before God and just saying, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Awesome, that's so good. God bless all of you. Yeah, yeah. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to stay standing and I want you to lock eyes with me. Those of you that are standing, here's what the Bible says. 
if we confess Jesus as Lord with our lips and we believe that God raised him from the dead, that we would be, be saved. That that's what we have to do. The most important part is that we believe it and that we surrender our life to Jesus. So I wanna lead you in a prayer. In fact, our whole church is gonna pray out loud with you. We're gonna give you confidence and courage to pray this together. So come on church, let's pray this and help them out today. Jesus, today, I surrender my life to you. I repent of my sin. I confess you as Lord. I believe that God raised you to life so I could be made new. You are my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church. Let's all stand with those. Come on, let's all stand and celebrate with those. Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church podcast. And we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. Welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com yes. There will be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.